the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. The problem is, in God's sight, according to God's word, sin is sin. And no one gets a pass. And you are not to do it unto others because they did it unto you. You are to bless those that persecute you. You're not to overcome evil with violence. You're to overcome evil with good. And so far as it depends on you, God says, be at peace with all men. Every giant will fall, the mountains will move. Every chain of the past you've broken into. All the fear of the lies, we're singing the truth. That nothing is impossible with you. Hello and thank you for joining us on today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we do hope that you and yours are well and staying strong, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to spend time with us today here on the program. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we return to Pastor Keith's series on race and reconciliation as we hear a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, Imagine a God, Part 1. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Galatians, Chapter 3. And now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Critical theory and intersectionality is based on a revenge culture. It's based on a culture of shame and shaming. And it is entirely inconsistent with what we just read. And again, it, all, it constantly recreates new supplies of oppressors and the oppressed because Satan wants to divide and to destroy, not to build. These theories are focused on tearing down institutions, not building up. On tearing down your neighbor based on differences you perceive you have or wrongs that you feel like have been done, not building up. It's a flawed worldview. Why is it a flawed worldview? One, it takes God out of the picture. It began as an atheistic worldview, designed to undo the oppression caused by religion in the world. Also, common sense tells us in a fallen world, no human being can guarantee equalities of outcomes. There is no equality of outcomes because God bestows gifts according to his will, according to his purposes, and the abilities that we have and the place that we find ourselves in our society, like Joseph in Egypt, sold into slavery to become the prime minister of Egypt. Like Moses, the prince of Egypt, now a shepherd in Midian and then back as a deliverer, God uses a broken world to glorify himself and to bring good to people. And so we're not to show 
partiality. No one, according to Leviticus 19.15, is to stack the deck for or against anyone. James writes in James chapter 2 about not showing partiality. And we are not to hate or shout down or protest our neighbor or cancel them, but reason with them frankly, sanely, reasonably. You see that in verses 16 and 17 of of Leviticus 19. And verse 18 rules out vengeance or getting even in any form. Foundationally, critical theory fails to consider or understand God's call to be holy, to be unlike the world because he's holy. And instead, we engage in an unending game of vengeance and revenge against a never-ending cycle and list of oppressors. And we just take turns exchanging roles over time. That's the foundation that it lays. That's critical theory. That's intersectionality. This cannot be overemphasized. Critical theory has a wrong view, an unbiblical view of humanity and the human condition. And you know the other thing it does, it gets back into this whole partiality thing in violation of God's word. Supposedly being an oppressed party gives you a moral leg up on your alleged oppressor. That's part of intersectionality. The degree to which you are oppressed heightens or diminishes your moral authority. Think about it. The degree to which you are oppressed determines your level of moral authority. How does that work? Here's how. Everyone is divided up and judged according to a number of things. Let me give you an example. The experience of a gay black woman gives her more moral authority than a straight black man or a straight white man. Let me take it further. A black man has less moral authority than a black woman. A black woman has less moral authority than a black lesbian. And think about this. And so what happens eventually is this. You remove one oppressor and somebody else comes up in the crosshairs. You could be a a, a black man accused of sexually oppressing or something like that and women are to be believed because you're male in an oppressor group, you're guilty as charged regardless of the evidence. Think about that. It has a skewed, bent anthropology. And that's why some call this worldview a religion because, or a religious cult because it has this theology. It has this canon of scripture. It has these, these uh, tenets that cannot be violated. And part of this whole intersectionality thing is that life is a zero-sum game. There's never a win-win. There's only a win-lose. And so when somebody wins, she becomes the new oppressor and she's to be taken down a notch. I mean, that's just bent. And that's why a black male is more of an oppressor than a black female, and a black female is more of an oppressor than a black lesbian. Now, all of this is done, perhaps, with good intentions, based on what feels right, what seems right. But as we talked about in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there's a way that seems right, but the end is the way of death. And this worldview is harmless, it is divisive, it is damaging, and it is demonic. It has an unbiblical view of humanity. Humanity is just a collection of pawns that are objects of power and oppression. And it doesn't understand 
humanity the way that God does. It's based on a revenge culture, on a shame culture. Not a culture, not a godly culture. Fatal flaw number one. Let's talk about fatal flaw number two. On to the next fatal flaw. When it comes to critical theory and intersectionality, they have an unbiblical view of sin. They have an unbiblical view of sin. And here's where the diagnosis really goes astray. Because the wrong diagnosis, ask Muhammad Ali, can be catastrophic. What is sin? Who is the victim of sin? God. Sin is rebellion against God's authority, against God's word, against God's ways, against God's Bible. The will of God is written down for us and codified in the word of God. And sin is a violation of God's word. Let's kind of take a a little bit of a quick survey. I'm just going to give you two passages to remember and to understand the nature of sin. One is Romans 3, 22 and 24. And what does it say? It starts out this way. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned. There is no partiality with God. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the only means of correcting that, the only means of fixing and curing what ails us and what ails the world is redemption through Jesus Christ, which changes us from the inside out. We become new creations. So much for that sliding scale of sin and moral authority. In Genesis chapter 8, 20 to 21, we understand that sin is pandemic What do I mean by that? Well, let's just read it. Then Noah, this is after the flood, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the aroma, the the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, listen to this, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, right? Right? What does Jeremiah say? The heart is deceptively, desperately wicked. Who can understand? Genesis 6 tells us that from our youth, we are sinful. That every intention of our heart is sinful. Critical theory misunderstands that. And it oversimplifies. And it really breaks everything down into two categories. The problem is, sin is not a class problem. Sin is not a race problem. Sin is not a social contract It's a problem, it's a condition faced by every individual everywhere. And no one, based on his or her experience, has more more moral authority than someone else. We are all perpetrators. We are all guilty. It's an individual problem. Romans 5.12 reminds us that through one person, sin entered the world and spread to all and death with it because all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one, no one has a leg up or moral authority on anyone. No one. And as far as races and genders and socioeconomic status, and I want you to listen to me, hear me, rich and poor, weak and strong, 
influential and uninfluential are equally sinful. All people start at the same place, lost. It doesn't matter the condition that you're born into and to which you were born. You're not righteous because you're born into a poorer family. They're not more righteous than the rich family up the street. The rich family up the street isn't more righteous than the less than the poor family down the street. All are sinful and equally need a savior because they are responsible, accountable, individually, personally for their sins against a holy God. People make choices. People suffer consequences. I remember somebody talking to me a few years ago, kind of debating with me that he loved the homeless people, he loved the poor people for their piety. Well, if you study homelessness, 20% of the people are kind of down on their luck, humanly speaking, through a health crisis or a business contraction or whatever it is. And 80%, they've abused drugs, alcohol, they've made choices, and they're accountable. You reap what you sow. But intersectionality says sin is by people group. Critical theory has a different view of sin. And there is guilty not just based on what you do, but who you are or who your parents are. It's like North Korea. It doesn't matter that you're not an oppressor. If your granddaddy or grandmother was an oppressor, you're guilty. You're under that class or that racial or that gender sin. The only real sin is oppression in critical theory and intersectionality. They have lesser sins, if they want to call them that. It's kind of like mortal and venal sins of a different age. With critical theory, the cardinal sin is the assertion of power, the possession of authority, the possession of an advantage. It takes God out of the equation who may have raised some up, someone up for such a time as this. And moreover, the the more peculiar aspect of this is if you're an oppressed person, your sins are excusable. You see, critical theory offers a different view of sin. And it should be intuitively obvious to the casual observer that this is completely inconsistent with Christianity. And here's where intersectionality comes in. If you're oppressed, then you have less moral responsibility than other people. Depending on where you sit in points, on the sliding scale or the totem pole of intersectionality. Depending on your level of oppression with critical theory and intersectionality, you get a pass for rioting, looting, striking back at those in authority. The more oppression one faces, the less moral responsibility they have, the less sinful they can be. And this gets back to that bizarre ranking system. The problem is, in God's sight, according to God's word, sin is sin. And no one gets a pass. And you are not to do it unto others because they did it unto you. You are to bless those that persecute you. You're not to overcome evil with violence. You're to overcome evil with good. And so far as it depends on you, God says, be at peace with all men. But when it comes to sin, and all have sinned, Ezekiel 18.20 tells us the soul who sins shall die. Why? Because God doesn't show partiality to the weak or the strong, to the rich or the poor. 
no, how, no, no matter how many verses people like to quote out of context. He is no respecter of persons because he's holy. And he calls us to be holy. God shows no partiality. All have sinned and sin kills. Sin is deadly. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's simple really. You shall not steal means you shall not steal regardless. You shall not murder means you shall not murder regardless. You shall not covet. You shall not envy. You shall not resent regardless. You don't get to lie, cheat, steal, or kill because you're poor. In critical theory and intersectionality, sin's guilt is corporate, not individual. Let me just walk back through that again. As a white person or a member of some oppressor group, you are guilty, accountable to be penalized for the sins you personally did not commit. You're guilty for the sin of others, even those you may not be aware of, even the sins of people you've never met. Now, let's take a step back here. Imagine applying that to all women because women in large numbers in this country get abortions. We have 3,000 abortions a day. 3,000 George Floyds a day. So therefore, applying intersectionality and critical theory, all women must pay. You see how this doesn't work? You just keep creating new oppressor groups to strike back at. And that's why it's satanic. What does the Bible say about that? Well, let's go back to Ezekiel 18. We quoted 1820 a moment ago. Let's look at uh, uh, 14 to 25 in the interest of time. I want you to listen to this and look it up in your Bible. Write it down. Ezekiel 18, 24 to 25. God speaking to Israel. Now suppose this man's fathers, suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. Verse 16, he does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery, but gives bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment. Verse 19, yet you say, critical theory says, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer the iniquity of the father, nor the father the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Verse 25. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Sounds like he's speaking to Robin D'Angelo. The idea of guilt because of who your father was, because of what your forefathers did, is anti-Christian. And it's more akin with North Korea. It stems from the wrong worldview, a wrong understanding of the problem of sin. And it leads to a wrong decision process and prescription. And God says that worldview is unjust. This is huge. A wrong diagnosis leads to a wrong prescription and a wrong treatment or solution. And it's always based upon subjectivity, not objective truth. It thrives on lived experience. And it may seem right to some, but as we know, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. These perceptions can be deceiving or misleading. 
Appearances can be deceiving. We talk about oppression. If you see a, a parent correcting a child, well, you could call that oppression. What c- critical theory calls oppression, others might call wisdom, counsel, or direction, or even discipleship. If the assertion of power and authority is oppressive, what happens to the church? Is the Bible an oppressive book? Look at Titus 2.15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Uh, with all authority. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 4 to 2, 2 to 4. It's a command of a pastor. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Well, that's no big deal, right? Until you get to this part. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. This does not fly, according to critical theory. Intersectionality and critical theory have a distorted view of reality, a distorted view of sin. And as we'll see in the next week, a distorted view of salvation and Bible. Again, sin isn't a race problem. Sin isn't a gender problem. It's a human problem. And all humans are equally dead in sin, and there is only one cure for that. And it's not institutions, and it's not laws, and it's not coercion, and it's not peer pressure, and it's not shouting people down. It's not vengeance. It's not revenge. It's not earthly. It's supernatural. It's eternal. It's not penalty-based. It's grace-based. So I want you to understand that these two fatal flaws are just that, fatal. They are earthly, natural, and demonic. So what do you do with this today? Let me just give you some suggestions for application. Four suggestions for application. Number one, stop and think. Jesus warns not to judge by appearances, but by righteous judgment in John chapter 7. Critical theory has a wrong view of humanity and a wrong view of sin because it judges by appearance. It's like the guy who goes to the doctor and says, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, don't do that. There's something more going on there. Don't misdiagnose the problem. Number two, consider that wrong starting points always lead to a wrong destination. Wrong goals lead to harm. Critical theory and Christianity are competing worldviews with different starting points and destinations. Can you afford to ignore Christ and embrace what the world has to offer? Which brings us to number three. Choose wisely because you cannot serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. That's what Jesus said. And you've got to choose between Christ and critical theory. That's why you're going to see this as the great separator in the, in the years to come. Because if you try to serve two masters, you'll love one and hate the other. Choose today which God you're going to serve and choose wisely. Number four, sign up for our conference that we're going to have. It's free. It's going to be online. I think it's going to be Zoom or some type of thing. Or you can click on the church's website. And we're going to have these two men speak on these matters. Dr. Neil Shevney, a Ph.D., and theoretical chemistry from Berkeley, taught at Yale, University of Durham. Dr. Vodi Bakum, uh, he is the, uh, the dean at African Christ Seminary in Zambia, and he's also got his PhD from Southwestern Seminary. These men are going to talk about this, and you need to hear what they have to say. 
And before I wrap up, let me just remind you that this is Communion Sunday, and this would be a good time to think about who you follow, who you serve, and what you're going to believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you as sinners saved by grace, living in this crazy era right now, Lord. We are wrestling with real problems, with real racism, with real, with real conflict and controversy, Father. But God, help us as Christians, as those who follow Christ, to avoid pursuing other gods. Help us to avoid a wrong diagnosis of the problem and therefore pursue a wrong prescription because there is a way that seems right to this world, but in the end, help us to choose life, Father. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we just want to say how grateful we are that you've chosen to spend this time with us today studying God's Word. If you have questions about today's program, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to log on to our website, hillsidechurch.org where you can find more messages and content from Pastor Keith in the Sermons Archives tab, as well as links to Pastor Keith's blog and the new Out of My Mind podcast. You can also connect with us to see the many things happening here at Hillside Church, including our service times, ministry opportunities, and our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and more can be found by visiting the website hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again right here next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you and keep you. And thanks for listening. The night.